you know, your kid swears in front of you for the first time, all of a sudden the first reaction might be, hey, what did my dad do when I did that? Oh, did he slap me? You know, did he blah, blah, blah? You want to have good examples in your head of what to do. Welcome to the Rising Father Podcast. I'm Chris Rodak. Today we're talking all about how to guide our kids' behavior without yelling, without getting emotional, without getting angry. Sometimes we do have to yell. You know, I'm I'm totally for that. Sometimes coming down hard and talking with authority and being a little bit more straightforward to our kids. But it can also become a crux that we fall into. It can be something easy that we do because other things aren't working. Like, I tried all these other things. They didn't work. I'm just going to yell. Or, you know, I missed the boat for the last couple of years building this relationship with my son, so I'm just going to yell right now because I messed up in the past. And that's the only thing to stop them from doing what they're doing right now. Yelling is necessary sometimes. You know, if your kid's about to run out onto the street and they're going to get hurt, yell. If your kid's doing something bad you know they're playing with a sharp stick and they're about to hit someone with a sharp stick yes yell that's when it when you need severe quick you know consequences and reactions then yes yelling needs to happen i'm totally about that but making that your go-to behavior modification tool not good not only is it bad for the kid but it's bad for you you just become the yelling person you do that all the time you just you're just the guy who yells a lot or you're out of family functions and you're just yelling at your kid. And people are wondering, like, man, can, does he not see we're all here? Why is he just yelling at his kid? So there's a lot of different things you can do. I'm going to tell you what works for me. We, I'm not, as I say on every podcast, I am not the expert in everything I talk about. I'm telling you what I do. I come from a big family. We have, I have nine, or I have eight brothers and sisters. We lived in a two-bedroom house. Um, my parents did a really good job with us. Um, I have my own two kids. We strive daily to make great relationships with them, and I focus on it. I really focus on my relationship with my kids and raising them upright. I also teach. I have about 15 years of teaching experience, so I'll give you all the things that I learned um, through that in the occasional book I read. There are books out there that will give you specific teaching techniques for your kids, behavior modification with studies and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to talk about any of that. I'm just going to talk to you about real life, what works for me, give you examples from my kids' actions, and say, hey, this happened, I did this, this works. Maybe you'll hear something that you can use tonight. Maybe tomorrow your kid will do something stupid, and you'll be able to say, hey, I remember what uh, Chris said on that podcast, I'll try this right now. So, so I'll go through 10, 12, 13 or so different little techniques here um, that I wrote down that I was thinking back on some memories with my own family, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember doing this. That worked well. Ooh, I did this. That didn't work well. So I'll also tell you things that didn't work well. First thing, what you can do if your kid's giving you a hard time, but you need to correct their behavior. So this is kind of a simple one, but a lot of people don't do it, okay? Especially, you know, not a knock on moms, but a lot of times I hear just with my friends and family, you know, 
you know, the mom will say, oh, he only listens to the dad. You know, oh, my, my kid never listens to me. But if you, if I said the same thing as my dad, you know, and I was my husband, the dad, then he would have done it. It's like, yeah, maybe, but how are you saying it? That's a big thing. So your kid does something dumb. You need to correct the behavior. Are you saying it in a whining voice? Are you saying it in a pleading voice? Um, or are you talking directly simply with authority? Probably the other one. It's something that women do more than men, but we could, I have also heard men do it too. So we could all take a lesson from that. So when you are trying to fix a behavior, so something bad happened, you need a quick response. The longer you wait, the less effective it is. You need to correct, quickly correct the behavior. You must talk with authority and clearly. You know, Nathan, put that down. You are going to hurt someone. Not, Nathan, I told you to put that. Mm, already less respect for you. So you have to talk with authority. You have to talk clearly. You have to talk succinctly. All those things. No one likes getting pleaded to. No one likes the whining sound. No one likes having someone talk to them in that way. And just the overall effectiveness of the tone of voice and volume you use is extremely effective with your kids. If you, if you talk louder, if you talk firmer, more clearly, all of those things will affect the behavior much more quicker than a soft, whiny, pleading type of voice. So that's the first thing, okay? Something, something happens, you wanna correct the behavior, boom, I'm in charge, I'm talking with authority. And not to call your kids dogs, but it's also a kind of a staple of dog training. Um, the people that I know that have really well-trained dogs, you can watch any dog show, they say the same thing. You know, the dog needs to know who's in charge. The dog needs to know that you're the alpha, you're the one giving the command, and you are the lead dog. Okay, I'm not trying to get all alpha male on you right here, but that's what it is. Same thing with your kids, especially if you have boys who are growing up, they're getting bigger, stronger, testing the boundaries. You have to talk with authority, with volume, with direction when you're trying to modify that behavior. That doesn't mean you talk like that all the time. I don't talk to my kids like that when we're at the dinner table or when I'm reading them a story laying in bed. I don't go, tonight, you know. I'm also cuddly with them. I'm very affectionate and loving with them. You know, we have wrestling matches. We joke around. We're, I get very silly with them. But sometimes that silliness can turn into them testing the waters. You know, maybe you're, they're playing with their cousins, and they're instead of playing tag, it becomes punch the kid in the stomach. That's when you have to say, stop it. Don't do that. And then you have them come sit next to you, and then you send them back. You, know, you don't go... Oh, can you please stop? None of that works. So monitor the tone quality coming out of your mouth. Monitor the volume. Monitor what you're saying. Are you telling them what to do or are you asking them what to do? Are you asking them why they're doing something or are you just saying don't do it? How you are saying things are extremely important. Be direct. Be confident. Loud tone of voice. Talk clearly. Make sure your message is you did this, you shouldn't have done it, this is why, here's the consequence. Anything other than that is going to lower their respect for you. It's going to make the next time they do something, they're going to want to ignore you. And you're taking a diverted path. 
the clear, confident message is a straight line. Anything else is like a tree limb. It's just a spiral. You're going around and around because either you don't know what to say or you're afraid to talk like that or you've never done it before or you're a little bit scared. You're wondering what they're going to say back to you. That's number one. The next thing to do is positive reinforcement. Now you've probably heard that term a lot. It's kind of like an education buzzword, but basically it means you point out and make public the behavior you want to see more of because kids love attention. We all do. We like to hear good things about us. We like to hear praise. Kids are the exact same way. So when you see them doing something positive, you say something positive about that behavior and you'll get more of it because kids want to duplicate the kind of behaviors that they're getting attention for. Now, if you have a kid that does a lot of negative behaviors and you're constantly calling out those negative behaviors, you will get more of those negative behaviors for a lot of kids. Obviously, every kid is different and reacts differently, but kids tend to do things that bring them attention. So if you have a kid who does five good things, five bad things in the span of one hour. Try just pointing out and praising the five good things. Don't even acknowledge the bad things as long as they're not seriously bad. And guarantee you'll get more of the positive things. So here's an example. You're at a family birthday party. Um, your son who always, when he plays tag, punches the person instead of pats him on the back. So you see him pat someone on the back. You call it out. You point and say, you know, hey, Nathan, awesome job that you're playing really good how you patted him on the back. Okay, let's say he punches someone. They don't get hurt. Just This is just an example. You don't acknowledge it. You don't say anything. But then when he pats someone, you call that out. Not the best example because if your son's punching someone, obviously you want to say something like that. But if they do something positive, you call it out. If they do something negative, you leave it alone. And your kid will want more of the positive behaviors. Easy thing to do, but a lot of us who were raised, you know, in a system in a with parents who always called out the negative, you know, not saying that's me, but it happens to a lot of a lot of people where there's just a lot of yelling in the house, there's a lot of calling out the negative, there's a lot of you did this, that's bad. You know, don't do that, that's bad. But whenever they, you do something positive, nothing ever happened. That could have been you you know, which is why you're replicating that behavior. And then whenever we try to decide how to handle situations, we go to, into our memory banks and then we say, hey, this happened to me, I should do this. I remember my mom saying this to me when I did this, so I'm gonna say that to my kid. It's hard to come up with completely new strategies that you've never seen, you know, which is why you have to guard what you watch and what you listen to because your brain is searching for answers. It's searching for things to mimic. Your brain wants the easy road. It doesn't want to come up with a, an original idea on the spot. You know, your kid swears in front of you for the first time. All of a sudden, the first reaction might be, hey, what did my dad do when I did that? Oh, did he slap me? You know, did he blah, blah, blah? You want to have good examples in your head of what to do. So if you have no good examples, then you have to start creating these examples and thinking of them ahead of time. Like your kids, if you haven't done this before, or your kids are super young, it's going to come where your kid says something really inappropriate and horrible in front of you or in public. All these things have happened to me. And you've got to think, how am I going to handle this situation when it happens? And then it happens, 
and you've got a plan. It's not a big deal. That will happen for sure. Or, you know, my my son is playing with another kid too rough and someone gets hurt and it's my son's fault. What am I going to say to them right then? How am I going to handle it? You know, or, hey, my son's playing with someone really well and being careful and being patient. I'm going to make sure that I point it out. There's a lot of times when, you know, say I'm at the park with both of my kids, they're running around, and it costs me nothing to point out the positive. My daughter will be playing with a complete stranger, and a girl who she just met 10 minutes earlier, and then she'll run by me to check in with me, and I'll just say, hey, Lauren, you're playing so nice with that girl. That's great that you can just go out and make friends, and you're friendly, and you're smiling, and you're helping her out. All right, see ya, and she'll run. That cost me nothing, but she did that. She feels good, and then she knows that it's good to be friendly, it's good to be smiling, it's good to make friends, and it's good to help people. You know, if that happened, if she did what she did, and I didn't call it out, but then an hour later, I saw her trip a girl, and I called her over and yelled at her, say, hey, why'd you trip? Only mean girls trip, blah, 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 I said something like that. Then that whole experience would be very negative. It'd be very different because I would only be calling out the negative, okay? Had I not praised her positive behaviors, okay? Or had I praised her positive behaviors first, that second negative incident probably wouldn't have happened because she feels so good for being good, for having good actions, that she wants to duplicate it. She wants more of it. You know, she really wants to get that positive reinforcement. That's what positive reinforcement is. And if she does a negative behavior, then you address it. But she's going to want the positive reinforcement for the positive behavior. Okay, so try to not take for granted the awesome things our kids do every single day. Because they do a lot of, they do a lot of awesome things every day, and we just take it for granted. You know, like my kids are hilarious. I want them to be funny. They, they love being funny. It's just fun to be around funny people. So when, you know, when they're being funny, I say, hey, you're being funny. You're, you're a really funny person. That's awesome. Or when they're being nice to complete strangers, I point it out. When they're being helpful to me, I make sure I point it out. It's just not a given. You know, I know some people say that, yes, your kids are supposed to help you, but yeah, they are, but they won't unless they feel good doing it. Or they'll do it under force, and they'll resent it, and they'll wish they never did. You know, then they just won't want to be around you. Like my my son the other day, about a month ago, I was working outside. He was, I think, watching TV. He came outside. He's like, hey, Dad, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm working on this. I'm trying to fix this. He says, oh, you need help? I said, sure. And he said, what can I do? I was like, well, I'll be honest with you, Nathan. This is a really big job that if you could do it, you know, I'd be really blown away. Um, I said, you don't have to do it. I said, but if you want to, you can try to clean up the shed. I said, that's something that I need to do after this. That's going to take me a lot of time. But if you want to do it, this is your first really big thing that you're going to do on your own, your own project. You're going to take it on. He said, okay, I'll try. I said, sure. So he went in there. He organized the entire shed, like, beautifully. So it was super helpful for me. There was stuff everywhere. And he just organized it really, really well. So that moment, I made sure to praise, you know, hey, you asked me for help. You went in there. You took your time. You didn't give up. You know, you you did what I asked you to do. There's so many actions, so many positive actions he made that I made sure I praised. 
Because if I didn't take the time to do that, you might not ever want to do that again. And just being a helpful person is good. It's good for the world to have helpful people in it. So we want to praise our kids when they're being helpful. So they're good citizens of the world. And so that they're pleasant people to be around. And so they're nice to their friends and their family. And then they can make their kids helpful, positive, great people. So there's a lot to think about in our daily interactions. You know, it's not just getting through the day. It's how is how I'm talking to my kids going to affect them forever and then affect the world forever? Because everything we say to our kids has an infinite ripple effect. You know, everything you say to anyone has an infinite ripple effect, especially on younger kids. Because you say the thing to them, they internalize it. It's usually a bigger deal to them than it is to you. Then they tell other people about that experience, or you permanently affected them as a person. Then they go on to a, to affect other people. And for our kids, we you know they duplicate the memories that they have of their parents. So they're going to move on to different parts of their life. They're going to get married. They're going to have their own kids, and then they're going to look back and say, "Oh, my dad treated me like this in this situation. I'm going to do that, or that was horrible. I don't want to do that." So. We want to build all these positive memories and core memories in our kids that they can look back upon and use for themselves in the future. So positive reinforcement, create positive situations when they happen, identify them and praise them. So there's probably, you know, a hundred things my kid, my kids are going to do today that are positive. And I want to try to point those out and praise them for it. Because if I do that today, tomorrow will have much less negative behaviors. All right. You get to point. Number three, establish a, rot a routine and stick to it. So it is really important for our kids to have consistency, especially as the younger they are. Because they don't want to be waking up guessing every day. You know, for kids who have that situation, it shows up at school, it shows up in many parts of their life when they don't have consistency at home. And it's not just consistency of like where to sleep at night because the kids who don't have that, you know, the kids who have a different place to sleep every night, you know, that shows up in their, in their grades and their academics and in many parts of their life. And the kids who have a consistent set family structure, you know, one place to sleep, you know, this is our routine throughout the day, you can tell because they feel like they've got a rock, they've got a solid foundation. Sure, it could build resilience later on if they are resilient and succeed, but it could also turn them down a path to um, of chaos. So we want to be as structured and consistent as we can with our daily routines and activities at home. In terms of behavior, that, like I said, gives the kids something to look to latch on to that they know and they can expect will happen when something else happens. So in terms of rules and expectations for your house and family, you know, our kids don't benefit when dad says something's okay, then mom says something's not okay. Kids get confused when one day one thing is okay and then the next day that same thing is not okay. Or, you know, you're daughter does something bad but funny and you laugh on day one and then day two she wants that effect again she wants that response so she does the exact same thing and then this time you yell at her 
well, then that's not good for her at all because that really tears her up on the inside because she's, you know, doing what she can to get that positive response. She wants to feel good on the inside. So you laughed the first time, but now you're yelling at her. So now she doesn't know what to do, like what's appropriate in this house or not. So it's not just the rules you write down for your house, like your house rules. It's how you're reacting in every situation of the day. Like, and honestly, that just means you have to be a consistent person within yourself. Like, you have to be in line with what you believe in. Because if it's just up for grabs, if it's just chaos, and one day you're feeling this way, the next day you're feeling this way, then your kids are living with that also. It's not just your chaos, it's your kids are chaos. So you have to be, you have to have a set guide, a set set of rules that you live your life by, and then you have to pass it on to your kids. So if it's okay to eat treats at 2 p.m., it's okay to have a snack at 2 p.m., it's allowed to be candy, then it has to always be that way. It can't be like that on Monday, different on Tuesday. You know, mom says it's okay on Wednesday, dad says it's not okay on Thursday. Because then your kids begin to know that what you say doesn't matter. You know, they don't believe what you say because you because you lie. You know, whenever you change your mind every day, you're basically lying. And your kids will just stop listening to you. Or, you know, they'll they'll pretend that they're listening to you, but then in the back of their heads will say, oh, they, they don't know what they're talking about. It'll be different tomorrow. So be consistent day to day, person to person. You know, whoever's in your house dispensing the authority has to be consistent all the way around. The next thing we can do to help positively guide our kids' behavior is to give them independence. Now, that's just not a free-for-all. That doesn't mean if your kid is not ready to be independent, you throw them out on the road and say, hey, go for it. That means you've done the necessary prep work to develop an independent kid, and when they deserve it, you give it to them. You don't helicopter parent them to death and make every decision for a mature, wise kid because then they just begin to resent you and don't want you around. They can't wait to go off to college and leave because they want to be independent. So you've got to do the prep work before. You've got to build a resilient, independent child. And then the, this is the important moment. When they deserve it, you give them the independence. And if they have that independence, they'll have this strong structure in their own brains of in guidelines and principles of what to follow, what to do, what not to do. And that's what we want. We want kids who have their own conscience, their own guide, of what to do, what not to do. Once you feel they have that, then you can start to give them some independence. And it can, now here's how you do that. It can start with small things. Like, I remember when my kids were one year old, or as soon as they could start to walk, we'd go to a park, we'd go to a field. And normally, you know, you're walking with your kid every single step of the way. You're grabbing their hand, you're walking them from this tree to that tree. I remember the first time I said, okay, Lauren, I'm here. I want you to try to walk over to the swing set by yourself. And she'd look at you real scared. Say, yeah, you can do it. That's the that's it on a micro level, you know, for a one-year-old. Whenever, um, you know, my son, he's eight years old now, and we went to a grocery store. You know, I checked out the situation, everything's safe. You know, I'd say, okay, Nathan, I'm here. You know where the milk is? Yeah, okay. Go grab the milk and bring it back to me. And then he goes out, he grabs the milk by himself, comes back. He is so proud, so excited. You know, you've had to talk about strangers. You've had all the safety talks, and you feel it's okay for him to do that. 
and he does it he completes it now he's strong confident and independent at that micro level of an eight-year-old and then that moves on to 10 16 18 years old for a lot of different levels you know when you're 16 you get to go out and drive by yourself I had friends growing up their parents even after they were 16 18 years old never let them drive anywhere and we had to drive them everywhere because they were afraid that they would get in a car crash or afraid and they didn't give them the independence and it affects them so if your kid deserves the independence because you've done the necessary work to get them to that spot then give it to them and then once you give it to them they will develop their own code hopefully from things that you've taught them and that will affect many different decisions that they make so the independence that we give our kids affects how they behave and how they live their life but start it young and start it with small tasks that slowly build to bigger and bigger tasks so that someday they can live a life on their own with their own great guide in their heads we can also carefully show our kids how their actions affect other people now it has to be a supervised almost set up situation where you can show this happening not really set up but carefully supervised so I've done this to I've done this when the opportunity has presented itself so say I say for instance my daughter has a pattern of being mean to this person when she does this okay so maybe it's her cousin who always does this one thing to her so when her cousin does that she's always mean to her in this way and then after my daughter's mean to her this is just a for instance don't worry Lauren you're not mean and then after my daughter's mean to her her cousin cries turns around but my daughter never saw it she never saw that reaction because she turned around and started to do something else so what I do on occasion is if there's a behavior that really needs modified you really need to fix this thing with your kid or else if you don't fix it right now it will grow into something that will affect them the rest of their life negatively you wait till they do that behavior you know not that you're looking for it but you see it happen and you go up to him and say hey stop you just did this one thing look at that person look at how they're reacting so you thought you were being funny to him it's not funny look look how sad he looks okay imagine what he's feeling right now how does that feel would you like to be him right now or even if they say something to you that's particularly hurtful you know so I banter with my kids all the time it's part of our relationship where I have two hilarious kids that will go after me and I do the same thing to them it's just we banter with each other it's a fun teasing relationship sometimes and other times it's not and other times it's not teasing sometimes it's very loving and affectionate but you know sometimes they'll cross the line maybe they're unhappy with me for some particular reason and then maybe you know my son says something cruel to me that's like biting I'll say Nathan you just said this to me that really hurts my feelings I feel like this right now do you want to do you want your dad to feel that way why do you why did you say that to me were you trying to hurt me and then if you slow things down and you phrase it like that they begin to understand how what they say affects other people and that's the goal of this point right now is getting our kids to understand that the words they use really affect other people in their actions really affect other people 
So same, you know, back to like the hitting thing. So many parents have trouble with most, you know, with hitting, you know, with their kids wanting to play and instead of playing tag or instead of playfully wrestling or whatever, they just end up hitting. So say your son hits his cousin and the cousin's crying and your son runs off. You say, no, 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 come back here before you yell at them. Say, look at, look at Billy over there. He's crying. Do you think that hurts? Yeah. He's so upset right now. It hurts so bad that he's crying because you hit him. Well, I was just joking. Okay. You were joking, and now Billy's crying. Is that a joke? No. Was it funny? No. So are we going to do that again? No. It doesn't happen like that every single time. But whenever you slow things down, point out the action that was negative, point out the response that happened because of that action, you can really make a more empathetic child. You know, you can develop a sense of empathy and a child that sees what they do and how it affects other people. Okay, and this is, this is kind of a more of a sales technique, um, but I'll just go into it right now, and that is using questions instead of statements. So I've done some sales training. I've, I've been on hundreds of sales calls, mostly with realtors and lawyers and people that want us to find clients for them. But one, you know, standard sales tactic is to let the person answer instead of you answering. Like if I tell you that chocolate's good, that's not as effective as if I ask you, hey, what do you think of chocolate? And you say chocolate's good. You know, I have to know that you're going to say that first. But you saying chocolate's good is way more effective and internally motivating than me telling you chocolate's good. Then if I'm selling you chocolate, you're probably going to buy it. So whenever we talk to our kid, whenever I talk to my kid about situa important situations like this, I want them to fully internalize and understand what I'm saying. So I'll often, instead of me being the one talking all the time, I will ask them questions where I know what kind of response I want, but I want them to say it. Okay, so I'll say, did your punch hurt your cousin? Yeah, I know the punch hurt the cousin. I could have just said, your punch hurt the cousin, that was bad. But instead I'll say, did your punch hurt your cousin? Yes. Why did it hurt them? Blah, 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 blah. So now they are racking their brains, creating these stories and justifications and reasons for why what they did was incorrect instead of just listening to me saying it and then probably half hearing it. You have the same thing for any sales call. You want to try to get the person who you're trying to sell to tell you that they want your product. Once that happens, boom, you close, you're good. So that's at the end of every sales call. It's so why do you think you need, um, why do you think we could help you? Say something like that and I'll say, well, I'm, you know, I'm really stuck and I really think your product could, could change my life. Okay, well then it's, you know, $50,000, put it down. So getting other people to ask the questions and answer your questions and do more of the talking with your guidance is a really good way to help them see what you want them to see, whether it's in a sales situation, this in this situation, we're talking about behavior modification 
in guiding behavior. And, you know, some people say, well, let the kids do what they want. They'll figure it out. Will they? Will the kids just figure it out on their own? I don't think so. Okay. You know, not, not every kid is like that one story you hear of that one kid who was successful because of blah, blah, blah. No, our kids are living in a chaotic world and they're being pulled. If you don't influence your kid, someone else will. And that someone else is someone you don't know who lives on the other side of the world who's speaking into a camera. Okay? Because our kids are influenced every single day by thousands of messages who aren't their parents. That's why the things coming from us have to be so thought out, intentional, and strong and demand their respect. The things we say, they have to listen to, want to listen to, and say, Dad's saying that, so it's true. Dad wouldn't lie to me. Dad wants me to stop doing this, so I'm going to stop doing it. We have to be thought out. We have to be wise guides in our children's life. You know, we have to want to help them see the world the way that we think it should be seen. Okay, that's what parents do. Someday they will get older, they will evaluate the things that we tell, told them. They'll say, was that good or bad? I want to take that on in my life. I want to discard that. And that's okay. You know, we give it our best shot with them. They're not going to listen to every single thing you said and carry it on for the rest of their life. And hopefully they, they don't. Because, you know, when you're 20 years from now, when your kids moved out and they have their own life, hopefully they're more wise and smart than you are. That's the goal. You know, in the future, you want to be improving. And hopefully you're more smart and wise 20 years from now. You know, 20 years from today, hopefully you have new, more informed things to say than you do right now. But right now, you give it your best. And right now, you do your best raising your kids. You give your most informed, wise, thought-out opinions right now. And you don't let anything slide with yourself, which is why we have to lead by example. Nothing we say matters if we do the opposite. If we say eat healthy and then our kids watch us binging on potato chips, it doesn't matter. Then you're probably going to have overweight, out of shape kids. If we say you should get out there and exercise as we're sitting on the couch looking at our phone scrolling Facebook, it doesn't matter that we said that. They are going to resent you. They are going to know you're a hypocrite. And what you say doesn't matter. And they won't look up to you. They won't respect you. We have to do what we say. Okay? Do the action first and then back it up with words, not the other way around. A lot of times our emotions can get out of control and we get wrapped up in the moment and we say things we never wanted to say and that we regret, we regret forever. We say that to our family members most often. You know, most of the time, if we say something horrible and biting and cruel, it's going to be to someone that doesn't deserve it and someone that's close to us and someone we love because we're with them all the time and we're in the most emotionally charged situations with the people we love. We're not going to have an emotionally charged situation with a stranger because we're not emotionally charged with them. You know, we will say something you know, cruel and negative to our kid whenever we're very upset and angry because they can make us very upset and angry because they can get personal with us because they know what makes us angry. And controlling your emotions is one of the hardest things to do. 
it's a pillar for fathers. You know, I think it's a benchmark for fathers to get to is controlling your emotions, being stoic, being wise, being mature and being calm, being able to control your emotions. I talked to Kyle Carnahan of Superhuman Fathers. Great podcast. You should check it out. And this is one of his pillars that he talks about. He talks about controlling what goes in your mouth and controlling what comes out of your mouth. And I just love that so much. And that affects every part of our life, how we react to people. Even if something is eating you up on the inside, first off, you got to think, why is that eating me up? How am I deficient that what my son did, the small little thing my son did made me so angry? That means I have a huge issue. He doesn't have a huge issue because what he's doing right now doesn't might not even affect me. I'm witnessing what he's doing, and it's making me so upset. So what's wrong with me? And then after you decide that, after you figure that out, then you can start to be more calm. Because if you understand it about yourself, then you can understand why the emotion is happening, and you can see the emotion coming. You can observe it instead of living in it. And in my last podcast, I talked about eight ways to stay calm, stay sane in an insane world. I talked about journaling. And this journaling can help a lot in this situation where you start to write down, you know, why do I get emotional in these situations? Because you, you have to know yourself. You have to know that, hey, I'm 35 years old. When I'm not making progress in a certain area of my life, I feel this way. And if I feel this way and my family comes home and I'm in this mood, if they say this thing, I might say this thing. You know, you, you can start to see patterns in your own life and start to foresee what can happen and then avoid them. So we have to start to know ourselves and know what gets us off emotionally, you know, what makes us angry, what really makes us happy. And a lot of times, for example, if we can live our life by emotions. You know, I talk about this for when I talk about business stuff. It's, you know, things are going really well right now. So I'm going to lay off the gas. I'm really happy emotionally. I feel really satisfied with my life. So I'm going to get distracted and kind of lay off the gas. Uh oh, things are in a crisis. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm going to ramp things up. I need to start working really hard right now. That's amateur. Okay, that's, that's not what professionals do. Professionals have a certain set of actions they do every single day, whether they're feeling depressed, happy, or sad. They just do them. They're not always pulled to do something. They just do the thing every single day. Okay, They don't let life get in the way, as James Clear says in Atomic Habits. They do not live life by emotions. And if we want to have other goals in our life, then we can't live life by emotions. Okay, We have to do a certain set of things every single day. And the same thing and the same thing is with our kids and trying to guide their behavior. We can't guide their behavior based on what emotion we're feeling. We have to say, okay, when my son does this thing, whenever he says a swear word, this is the consequence. Because it's always been the consequence, and we know in our family we don't do that. And we know in our family this is the consequence if that happens. Whether you're feeling happy that day or sad. You know, you're feeling happy that day and you let things slip. That means you just encourage that behavior and it's going to happen more the next day. Be consistent. Master your emotions. And many things in life will improve. Have the same 
expectations for yourself and for others, no matter what emotion you are feeling. Try to be the wise guide, not the emotional nut who flies off the handle. You know, when your kids think of you, you want them to think of the wise mentor, the person they can go to for a calm, reasoned reaction, not to someone who could be crying this moment, screaming the next moment, laughing the next moment. Control your emotions and be the wise guide for your family. And lastly, I'll say that we need to show love and affection regularly. I try to monitor the words I say, you know, the nicknames I give my kids, making sure they're positive, making sure they're loving, and they make them feel good. I want my kids to feel good when they're around me, when they're around our family, and in our house. So make sure the words I say are positive and build them up, and, I'll, and, then, and then make sure the physical actions I take are the same thing. You know, lots of hugs, like I said, and pats on the back. You know, even wrestling. I wrestle with both my daughter and son because they're both in jujitsu. And you're just always showing love and affection, and that makes them a good, happy person from the inside. Because whenever they're out at school, far away from you, and they're seeing all these strangers, you want them to be able to look back home and think, oh, I've got dad at home. You know, whenever I, whenever dad gets home for work or when I come home and dad's there, I'm going to get a big hug, a smile, a joke, and everything's going to be all right because dad's there. So try to give consistent love. It'll be better for them. It'll make them happier. It'll make you happier. And it'll just help the whole family grow together. I really appreciate everyone sharing this podcast with other people. You know, our numbers are going up, especially with Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and I see some reviews coming in, so I really appreciate that as well. This is definitely a growing brand. We're still a very new, young brand, and getting to meet people in the community like all of you is really humbling, and it's fun, and it's great to connect with people and to know that we're spreading a positive message message for fathers and dads and just guys in general um, really makes me happy. So thank you for supporting me, my family, and this brand, Being Rising Fathers Yourself. And if you're not subscribed, please do. Please share. Please like it. And let's grow this community together. All right, guys. We'll see you.